Go to the fourth chapter of Acts. I'm going to read in just a few moments, starting with the eighth verse in Acts chapter 4. Would you stand, please? You follow as I read from the NIV. Acts chapter 4, starting verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. On some recent Sunday evenings, we have been looking at an amazing faith on another Sunday night, an authentic faith coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be an active faith. But this morning we're looking at a bold faith. And my prayer is that we will see some qualities in the faith of Peter and John that we would do well to incorporate into our own walks of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've given us the privilege to come into your holy presence today. And even as we bring you our praise, we recognize how you call us to a life of faith. And so, Father, our prayer is that you would encourage our faith today. Encourage us to boldness in sharing our faith. Encourage us to step out of comfort zones Encourage us to be the image of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Come now, Father, and minister to us through your word. We pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you and be seated. To begin today, let's contrast two unfolding accounts. In the first picture, Jesus has just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. All of the disciples have run for their lives. And then we see Peter hiding in the shadows of a courtyard. He is recognized and he is accused of being a follower of Jesus three times and three times he denies it. The next account, 
moves us through several different scenes. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple and after healing a crippled man, Peter again preaches a great sermon. By now, the number of believers is approaching more than 5,000 and Peter and John are arrested. They are threatened in chapter 4 and Peter boldly proclaims the message of Christ saying they will not stop. And so what happened? (laughs) What happened to Peter and John? What was the reason for their transformation? Something gave them an uncommon boldness to stand up against the very people who had Jesus crucified. If the church today could find that same boldness, it would never be the same. If First Baptist Church of Titusville could find that boldness, it would never be the same. If those present today, here in the sanctuary or those listening on radio or with our streaming service, if you could find that boldness, your lives, your homes, your families, your walks of faith would never be the same. But we know that there are some obstacles. We would have to agree that there's more concern today with being politically or socially correct We're faced today with increasing secularism and tolerance. More and more people today, even Christians, are hesitant to tell anyone that their belief might not be true. This is nothing new. We need boldness. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the scriptures tell us why the people of that day had so many problems. The words are very simple. Everyone did as he saw fit. The New Living Translation of that same verse says it this way, so the people did whatever they seemed right in their eyes. There was no one bold enough to stand up against the the majority. A pastor once asked a couple that he was witnessing to, if what they believed was in all actuality not true, would they want to know? And they said, no, not really. They would be content to just continue their lives and not hear the truth. And so today, what does bold faith in a Christian look like? To get an accurate picture, we're going to look at Peter and John, and we see a change from what they were previously. Peter and John were changed men. We might not know much from Scripture about John's conversion experience, but we know It was real. In Matthew, Mark, as well as in Luke, all three gospel accounts tell us that Peter and his brother Andrew, as well as James and his brother John, were professional fishermen. And Jesus called them. They left their nets and their livelihoods, and they followed him. Their lives were changed. I remember the first time that I found and discovered the scripture in John 16, 33, where Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And what an impression that made on me. So imagine my surprise when later I discovered John also saying in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he uses that phrase, overcomes the world, three times, but in a different way. This time he says this, for everyone 
who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Change was the catalyst in the life of Peter, a change brought about by the power of God. Now, when we follow Peter's life, certainly, we see him go from a simple, ordinary Jewish fisherman to a disciple, to a man who struggled with his faith, don't we all? To a man who had some problems with giving all of his life to God, don't we all? Not unlike people today, Peter discovered that there were some areas in his life that he wanted to retain control over rather than giving all of himself to Jesus. And that's what landed him in trouble. He had his ups, his downs. But now in our passage, he is presented as a man of boldness. And that boldness was a result of a changed life. A life changed by God produces bold faith and today we're going to look at what bold faith produces number one in your outline a bold faith produces boldness in teaching peter and john had been speaking in the temple no doubt they had been taught from childhood the importance of temple worship and they had a habit of worshiping in the temple and honoring god's word They were Jewish. Their audience was Jewish. They were upholding that long cultural tradition of of God's chosen people. Only now, in the temple, after healing a crippled man, they were teaching about Jesus. And because of this, they were arrested. They spent the night in jail. The next day, Peter, Peter boldly tells those Jewish leaders, verse 10, this same Jesus that you crucified is alive, and it is through his power that this crippled man stands, and through his power that we stand before you. How right he was. These were the same people who were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, and now they were upset with Peter and John because of Jesus. Just a short time earlier, no doubt these very same religious leaders had become tired of hearing about this rebel, this disturbed man in their eyes who claimed to be God and who caused such an uproar to their temple traditions. And they thought it was finally over when they got rid of him. They were hoping things would get back to normal because he was dead. But now these two men come along and they're stirring things back up again. Why? I'll tell you why. And it wasn't the reason they wanted to hear. Because Jesus was alive. Here's my sermon today in one sentence. Serving a living Lord makes a difference in our lives. And here's what that means for us today. We need to be Stirring things up in our world, not in a negative way that dishonors Jesus. But we need to be stirring things up in fresh and exciting and positive ways every day. People need to see us as different from the world. What does Romans 12 2 remind us? We're not to be conformed to the world, but what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. When Jesus comes into our lives, we are changed in a transforming way 
way. People need to see a difference in our lives. They need to see a difference in our language, in our attitudes. Why? Because Jesus is alive in our lives. We don't react the same way the world does when things don't go as planned. We don't give in to pressures. We don't follow the ways of the world. We have overcome the world in the very same way that John spoke of just a moment ago. Peter and John boldly taught that Jesus was the Son of God, contrary to the popular Jewish belief of the day. And even more so, they were now proclaiming that this same Jesus that they had put to death was alive. They boldly proclaimed that faith in Jesus not only provided the miracle healing of this man, but as miraculous as that was, those listening now could receive that same miraculous healing into their lives. Their message was the same as it was in the previous chapter, verse not, uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Repent and turn away. And there's that reference to change again. Repent and turn away that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come to your lives. What a beautiful verse. Repent and turn away that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter was bold in his teaching. Because he knew what his audience needed and he wasn't afraid to give it to them. We need that kind of boldness today. We need people to stand up and teach the world about Jesus and what he is doing in our lives and to do so unashamedly. We need churches today to be bold about teaching what the Bible says about sin and its consequences. We need churches today to be boldly and intentionally focusing on godly living and righteousness. We need churches today to be admonishing people against pride and exalting themselves rather than Christ. We need churches today to boldly be on mission for Christ. The boldness of Peter and John was unsettling to the priests and the temple leaders. We didn't read it, but if you go back, verse 2 says they were disturbed. And that was the reason Peter and John were arrested. And it's because of this in verses 17 and 18 that Peter and John were commanded to stop teaching, even saying the name of Jesus. Most of us have probably not encountered open persecution because of our faith. But have you ever been in a situation where you were afraid to let people know of your faith in Jesus. Afraid of how it might be received. Afraid of being looked down on. Afraid of consequences, personally or even professionally. The old Peter was. The old Peter denied that he was a follower. He denied that he had been with Jesus. He denied that he even knew Jesus. But the new Peter said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And here's what that means for us today. Did Peter say, well, I'll argue my opinion of doctrine or theology with you any day of the week, bring it on? No. 
Did Peter say, I'll give you my interpretation of Scripture? Did Peter say, you have to do as I say? Did Peter say, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong? Did Peter say, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with the church today? No. He said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Let me give you the Phillips translation of verse 20. Peter, speaking for himself and his brother John, said, we will not stop telling what Jesus has done for us. We must be bold in our teaching. And not just in and through the church. We need to be bold in our personal teaching the world about Jesus. Our voices and our lives must be telling the world, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And he is the Lord of this world. The world might not want to hear it. But we must be bold in sharing the message. Will we be faithful? Number two in your outlines. Bold faith also produces boldness in praying. What started this whole scenario? Acts 3.1 says that Peter and John were on their way for regular prayer time at the temple. You back up even more, Acts chapter 2, and you see that the church devoted itself to specific things, one of which was prayer. Do you see the connection? Peter and John were men of prayer. The church in Acts was known as a praying church. Prayer fueled their boldness. That's where it started. What was the essence of Peter's preaching? In Acts 4.12, he said, there's no other name by which we can be saved. How did they heal that crippled man? In Acts 3.6, in the name of Jesus. Do you see the connection? How do we pray today in the name of Jesus? When Peter and John were released after being threatened about speaking about Jesus, we didn't read it this morning, but if you look at the next few verses after where we read this morning, verse 23 says that they went straight to the believers, and then the very next verse, 24, says they prayed. Do you think it might be important? Here's your homework today. We don't have time to explore it today, so I want to suggest that you spend some time with those next verses, 23 through 31 in Acts chapter 4. I did a study on these verses not long ago, and it was very, very interesting. What can you glean from these verses, 23 to 31, about how they prayed? Not just the exact words, but the format, the formula, the outline. How did they pray? And use that to help encourage your prayer life. There was a Baptist pastor serving in Moscow. And under this courageous Baptist pastor's leadership, 12 new Christian congregations had been started. And on one occasion, he approached the country's minister of religious affairs for permission to build a Baptist church on a valuable piece of property. And the Soviet official refused, saying, listen to his words, as long as I am alive, there will never be a Baptist church on that property. As long as I'm alive, it's not going to happen. Well, the Baptist pastor turned to leave, and he stopped at the door, and he turned around, and he said this, Mr. Minister, I respect that you serve as a minister of the Soviet Supreme State, 
but I serve as a minister of the Most High God. And I am going to pray that he will spare your life when he gives us that property. That Soviet official said, you mean that, don't you? And he called him back into his office and they sat and talked and that led to more conversations until finally that property was given for a Baptist church. And it was built. And that minister of religious affairs even came to the dedication service. Why? Because of bold prayer. A Southern Baptist missionary to Africa was serving in a potentially dangerous situation. His country was taken over by a pro-communist regime that outlawed the existence of Christian churches. He was transferred to a neighboring country for his safety. And one day he was transporting Bibles to believers meeting in secret back in that first country. And as he approached the border, he saw vehicles being stopped for inspection. One guard on the side of the road motioned for him to pass through to the next guard. That guard motioned for him to pass through to another and then another and then another. Finally, the fifth guard in line stopped him and asked for his identification. And very quickly, that guard's expression changed as he recognized the missionary. That guard was a believer. And he looked at the pastor and he said, you're fine, brother. Just come right on through. That missionary had known that his task on that day would be a difficult one. And for that reason, he chose to do it on his birthday. A day that he knew his name would be listed in denominational prayer guides and thousands upon thousands of faithful Southern Baptists would be lifting him up by name in prayer. Bold faith produces bold prayers and bold answers. Number three in your outline, it also produces boldness in living. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and saw that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Some of your translations will say they took knowledge of them. What does that mean? The Revised Standard Version says they recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus and that's a little bit misleading. It wasn't that the authorities had not associated Peter and John with being followers of Jesus. Peter had already been very clear about that. He had healed the man in the name of Jesus. He had just said there was no other way to salvation but through Jesus, verse 12. That was the given. It wasn't that the authorities had not physically recognized Peter and John, and now they did. It wasn't a sight recognition at all. The Sanhedrin knew they had been with Jesus. That was the given. It was no secret. The realization that came to them was that it was Jesus in them that had given them the power. The power that they had displayed not only in healing this man, but the boldness in standing before them that day as well. As my mama used to say, the light bulb came on. That day, Standing before the Sanhedrin were little Christs. That's what they took note of. 
That was what they recognized. One translation of Christian is little Christ. And it might have been two simple fishermen standing there that day, but those authorities in all their pompous righteousness were seeing Jesus all over again. In his writing, The Freedom of the Christian, Martin Luther in 1520 said this, As our Heavenly Father has in Christ freely come to our aid, each one should become, as it were, a Christ. That's the message of verse 13. And that's what we need to hear today. The question is, when people look at you, are they seeing Jesus? Family was on its way home from church one day, and the little boy was talking to his parents about the sermon. And he said, Mom, the preacher said that Jesus lives in us, right? And she said, that's right. And the little fellow said, and he's bigger than we are, isn't that right? She said, yes, he is. And after a moment, the little fellow said, well, if Jesus lives inside us and he's bigger than we are, won't he show through? Won't he show through? We need to be bold in our living. There are people today searching for something and they don't even know what they're searching for. They just know there's a void in their lives. Brand new cars are a year old the day you take them off the lot. Brand new computers are bought and set up at home and within a week or two, you hear about a new program or a new feature that yours doesn't have. Storage buildings are filled to capacity and more are being built all the time all around us for things. And the more we get, the more we want. Why? Because things do not satisfy. We have the answer. And we need to be bold in living it and in sharing it. There's a statement that I love. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. <laughs> Our lives should be preaching Jesus every day. Look again at the example of Peter and John. In chapter 3, they're on their way to the temple and the crippled man asks them for money. And I love the Williams translation that they give in Chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. God calls for us to be bold in teaching, bold in praying, and bold in our living for Jesus. A bold faith also produces boldness in witness. Number four. A radio program not too many years ago, too, uh, too many years ago, was about the New Age message of communism being spread on college campuses today. There have already been saturations of New Age psychic and mystic and Buddhist and Hindu influences, and not only New Age, but people today will ask, "Well, who's to say?" that Muhammad or Buddha didn't have as much enlightenment as Jesus? What about those other ancient cultures whose religions are still alive today? Listen carefully. There is absolutely no truth in the notion 
that one religion is as good as another. That is as false as false can be. There are other religions that sacrifice children. Do you want to join one of them? Are the caste systems supported by Hinduism as good as any other concept of human dignity and value? When your grandchild or great-grandchild comes home and tells you that they are now embracing a religion that promotes free love and promiscuity and immorality, are you going to hug their neck and tell them how proud you are of them? There is absolute truth, whether we accept it or not. Truth does not become opinion just because someone doubts it. Truth remains truth. And Jesus said, you know it, I am the truth. The law of gravity is the same in the United States as it is in any other country in the world. An apple falling from a tree in any other country is going to do exactly the same thing it does here in the United States. Anyone can have their opinion about gravity, but that doesn't keep it from being absolute truth. True religion has at its core a concern for truth, not opinion, not just what man thinks about it. There was one thing that the Sanhedrin could not deny that day. The New American Standard Version of verse 16 has their response to, as this, for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They found truth that day. We must be bold in our witness, bold teaching, bold prayer, bold living, and bold witness will make a difference in our world today. We've learned, we've talked a lot about Peter today. I want you to hear what the Apostle John would say later as well. In 1 John 1, 1 to 3, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God the Father and his son Jesus Christ throughout the decades there have been many methods of church growth presented some of the ones in just the last few years that have been promoted growth through the Sunday school growth through small group ministries personal soul winning, bus ministries, social ministries, family emphases, door-to-door evangelism, servanthood evangelism, marketplace witnessing. Peter and John didn't know anything about all of these different methods. When they were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin and commanded not to speak about Jesus, Peter and John said they could not help speaking about what they had seen and heard. And their boldness was so convincing that verse 21 says the Sanhedrin had to let them go 
because all the people were glorifying God because of what happened. The late Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, loved telling a story about a fourth century Christian named Telemachus who lived in a remote village far from the city of Rome in Italy. He was a small framed man, lived a simple life, spent most of his days simply tending his garden and in prayer. And one day he heard the voice of God telling him to go to Rome. So he obeyed. Setting out on foot, he set out some weeks later, weary from travel, he arrived in Rome, and it was the day of one of the great festivals. And the little monk followed the crowd surging through the streets to the Colosseum, and he saw the gladiators stand before the emperor that day and say, we who are about to die salute you. Telemachus realized that they were about to fight to the death for the mere entertainment of the crowds. The crowd cheered, but Telemachus cried out, in the name of Christ, stop. And the games began. And he pushed his way through the crowd. He went down, climbed over the wall, dropped onto the floor of the arena. And the crowd saw this tiny man rushing toward the gladiators, calling out, in the name of Christ, stop. They thought it was part of the show, and they started laughing. But after a while, they realized it wasn't just part of the show. And as he was pleading with the gladiators to stop their bloody show, one of them plunged a sword into the body of Telemachus. He fell to the sand. And the crowd in that great Colosseum fell silent. And as he was dying, his last words were in the name of Christ. Stop. The gladiators stood there looking at this tiny monk dead in the sand. And then a strange thing happened. A man up in one of the upper levels stood up and made his way out of the Colosseum. And then another. And then another. And then many more. And in complete silence, one by one, everyone left the Colosseum. The year was 391. And that was the last battle to the death between the gladiators in the great Roman Colosseum. Never again in that great stadium did men kill each other for mere entertainment of the crowd because of one voice. Because of one life that stood up against man's sinful nature. Because of one voice that was bold enough to speak the name of Christ. Will you be so bold as to say the name of Jesus to someone today?
I've been trying to encourage you in recent weeks to be so bold as to make sure that at least one person hears the name of Jesus come from your lips every day. To the members of First Baptist Church of Titusville and to all Christian believers, will you be so bold in teaching and praying and living and in witness in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you call us to faithfulness today. And so, Father, our prayer is that you would encourage us, you would enable us, you would burden us to be so bold as to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Oh, Father, give us those opportunities and help us to be faithful to them. Hear our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.